uh, wait for about 30 more seconds, and then we will begin. For any of you who, who might be afraid that you push the wrong button, this is a Spark study group. And a Spark is a specific practical application of radical knowledge. Now, it's very, it's very clear why not so many people might be interested in, in coming to hear about this particular one because the Spark is numbers 63. So it's been around for a while. Spark, the sparks that are less than 100, less than 200, sparks that are lower number from 200 are uh, yeah. these kind of foundational sparks. These are sparks that have existed for a long time. Many thousands of people have read them and let them upgrade the thoughtware in their morphogenetic field of, the, of their of their self, you know, I've been. This is an. This is not the topic of the conversation right now, but there is an amazing quote from Gurdjieff. I don't know if anybody's familiar with George Ivanovich Gurdjieff, who was a, a researcher, and um, in the first part of the 19th century, died in 19. 49. He mostly lived in Eastern Europe and, and then Paris around France. But he wrote this thing about his studies, which were that the way things are is are because of the way people are. Things are the way they are because of the way people are. And if people were different, then things would be different. And so it was a it was a form of understanding our predicament in the world that the average human being uh, produces the world that we have right now and that um but the but that's where his research was was about actually facing into the reality of what is and so we've been we stand on a lot of people's shoulders for all the research that they've done before we come around and, but the research isn't over. The research continues. And the research in this case has to do with realizing that the way people are creates the world the way it is. And what that means is that when you change yourself, you change the world. And this is what a magus does. This is what the alchemist does. This is what, this is what um, you can do actually what you're doing when you uh, realize that no matter how much you blame somebody else or no matter how right you are and that you can prove it to all these people that it's that changing somebody else is not the answer so probably you've tried to change your mother it's, it's not a very successful operation usually so the, the idea is that the work that we're doing here in Sparks together is about ourselves, about each one of us. And 
I'd like to start over again since we're all here and we're ready to blast off. This is a space, this is the Spark Study Space. It was created by and Chloe Destremo for, and it's been going on for three or four months. Every Saturday morning, three or four months, uh, there's a, a Spark Study Group. And this time, she just invited me uh, randomly to, to um, talk about this particular spark for no particular reason. And Chloe, can you say anything about this? I, I said the spark that's coming out is about integrity and clarity. And you said, yes, this is, you were, you were jumping on your chair about that that was the spark that came out this week. And I was like, and I just asked you, well, would you like to hold space for it? And, and I think you probably said no first, and then I convinced you. <laughs> So this is this is a, a miraculous moment in history that I'm actually in Enclois Spark Group and diving into Spark number 63, which starts with a distinction. So without further ado, the distinction is bringing integrity to your clarity results in discipline. Bringing integrity to your clarity results in discipline or nothing changes until it hurts. Which is, a, you know, these are condensed things. So it's like nothing changes until it hurts too much to keep doing it the old way. And so mm, the clarity part, I'm just improvising here for a second. The clarity part is about what the pain is about. What is the pain? What, you know, what, is it, what are the sensations? What are you noticing? What's happening? What's really going on? In which of the three worlds is this happening? Like, all, what's the purpose? What's really going on? And then that's your clarity. And when you bring integrity to your clarity, once you have that Integri the integrity into your clarity. If you, if, you, if you have integrity with your clarity, you will not be able to keep doing things the same way. It will cause, it will cause evolution by reflex. It's called, we call it, some people, you know, you join a self-help group or you join a positive thinking group and people say you put little signs on your refrigerator and it says things like, you know, smile, smile, you know, and so, you try to remember to smile, you know, and so you look at, you look at somebody and, and you try to force yourself to smile, even, even when you want to cry or even when you want to, um, you know, start yelling at them, whatever, even when you want to disappear, you just start, you force yourself to smile. That, it, that kind of change doesn't come from integrity with your clarity. It comes from a kind of forced willpower trying to dominate yourself, trying to manipulate yourself into behaving in a particular way that you think in your mind might, might be useful. So has anybody ever tried that kind of that method for trying to change yourself? Yeah. So that's probably why you're here in the Spark group, probably because it didn't work so well. You know, it might work once or twice. It might work here and there, but then you know, there are so many other people out there trying to manipulate you. So 
to buy this or to think this way or to vote this way, like all that. They're trying to manipulate you. Like, God, you, you don't have to manipulate yourself on top of that. Okay, so this is about, it's not about manipulating yourself or trying to force yourself to be something other than what you are. This is, this is in a way, a micro, it's like a diving into the small details of the stuff that's really going on. It's diving into it. And by diving into it, you get new kinds of clarity. And then you, when you, when you accept, when you become okay with your new kind of clarity, your behavior will change automatically. So let's, let's read the notes here. Keep in mind that you are dealing with a survival box. It's your own survival box, a psycho-emotional machine that is totally dedicated to defending itself and keeping things the same for you. Because by keeping things the same, the box thinks that its survival mechanism will keep working and then you will survive. So the box has your, your interest at heart. It thinks. It's this mechanical, psycho-emotional machine, totally dedicated to defending itself and keeping things the same for you. Please remember that you often live and act as if you are your box and that this is merely habitual misidentification. Living as if you are your box is an illusion. And I'm, I'm saying a side thing here, which is that we've been in modern culture's educational program since we were, basically since we could talk and walk. You know, these days, the talker walkers, they put them in daycare centers and then, um, that's the beginning of our modern culture education, which does not have the distinction about our box. It doesn't have that distinction. And it doesn't, so it can't, it cannot. The modern education, modern culture itself, cannot provide the realization or the distinction that your box is an illusion. <clears throat> And to identify with yourself with your survival strategy is like a, a baby chick identifying himself with his eggshell. I am my eggshell. And then you end up with Beatles songs like I am a walrus, I am the postman, and whatever these old Beatles songs were. And these guys had some real clarity about what was going on. I am the egg man. God. So... That's the only modern education that we got was from the Beatles. So if you didn't study the Beatles, you're, you, you're missing it. So living as if you are your box is an illusion. And it's merely habitual misidentification. So identification means that that's what we think is so. So being identified is our ordinary state. It is an ordinary state to be identified with one of our multiple personalities. So every human being that I ever met, including myself, has multiple personalities. In fact, the more that you inspect or learn about 
you know, Socrates said something like, know yourself, but he was wrong. He's misleading. He should have said, know yourselves. Know yourselves. Because as soon as you start learning yourselves, you realize that you have a whole zoo going on in there, an entire zoo. So you can take a tour of your zoo, which is a really fine thing to do, but that's a different spark. So right now, <clears throat> so the thing is with identification is we forget that we're identified. We don't have a gap, a buffer between ourselves, our being, and the thing that we're identified with. So we're, it's glued together. And, and then the way that the machine works is the way that we work. So since there's no gap between us and our box ordinarily, then we're identified with the box. And as the box reacts or moves, we also react and move. There's no, see if you had a tiny little gap, a gap between your box and you, your being, then the box can completely freak out and do whatever it wants and you don't have to. So when you get identified with your box, so I'm reading again, still you forget that you are not your box. You forget that other people are not their boxes and you act as if your box is you because your box grabs you by the balls and shoots you full of adrenaline and emotions. And you think that these internal experiences are real without looking at their purpose. So the experiences are real. The, the hormones and stuff that the brain or your adrenaline glands squirt into your blood system, those things are real. And they have a real effect, which is a, like a fight or flight survival reaction effect. And once that's squirted in, once you have this reaction, you know it can take 15 or 20 minutes of you know, looking in the mirror and saying ohm to yourself before those chemicals can fade out enough for you to get present again. So, but once they're triggered, it's like you're hooked into this trigger reaction. And if you don't know that the trigger reaction squirts the chemicals in and you feel the chemicals, you go, oh my God, this is real. This reaction I'm having, my, this, whatever the reaction is, my, my, my emotional reaction is real because I can feel it. And this is, a, this is the illusion part. This is the, it's actually delusional. It's delusional to not learn the trigger connection between whatever the story was and whatever the chemicals are in your system. As soon as you figure that out, then bringing integrity to your clarity results in discipline. And the discipline is something like, ah, I just had a reaction. My box had a reaction. And, and even if the drugs get squirted in, you let them slide by. You say, look, I need, a, I need 10, 15 minutes. I'll be right back. I just had a, a, an emotional reaction. I will handle this. You write it in your beat book. I will go do this emotional healing process with my team, and then I'll be back. But this has nothing to do with you. It's just my, re my story that triggered my, my hormones, my, the chemicals. I'll keep reading. So... Let's see, your box grabs you by the balls, shoots you full of adrenaline and emotions. You think that these internal experiences are real without looking at their purpose. To gain clarity about what's going on, you can continuously detect the purpose 
your purpose of your tone of voice, the purpose of your actions, the purpose of where you put your attention, the purpose of the voices. Why are you listening to these particular voices in your head? Why are you listening to these particular stories in your head? You know, these all have a purpose and the purpose is generally to keep things the same way as they have always been. That's generally the survival purpose is to keep things the same. So the way that you can detect purpose is to look at the results that you create. I love this about the universe, is that there are consequences. And the universe is this, we're in a, a radically responsible universe. There is cause and effect. And if you look at the results that you're creating, then you know your purpose. And so even though you're in your mind, you might be split off into a different personality thinking that you want to have a different result, but you get this result. You go, no, 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 that's, I didn't really want that. I didn't really want to offend somebody. I didn't want to get people angry at me. I didn't want people to be afraid of me. I, I wanted people to trust me or like me or connect with me. But the result is people cut off, people reject you, people are, or they want to, uh, they want to get in your space, they want to abuse you, they want to make, they want to invade your space, they want to, like all these results are, are logical minds, that I don't really want these. But there's these other parts in us that do want those things. Because, how do we know? Because that's what you created. So part of, part of the point is, part of the work is to find out what part of us wants the results that we have. Because those parts have majority vote. The results don't lie. If you are speaking with someone, I'm, I'm reading again, child or adult, friend or foe, and you think that your purpose is kindness, generosity, and acceptance, and if the conversation results in more separation between you, then separation and conflict was your real purpose. Unconscious as it may have seemed, it's your real purpose. A short way to say that, I don't know if I say that in here, is what you have is what you want. What you have is what you want. Yeah, look at that for a while. Okay, it's like, <clears throat> something something useful it's like a mirror what you want what you have is what you want so so i'm putting a little paragraph in here so so one of the practices that people take on is different kinds of meditation practice so you meditate you try to you try to notice or you try to observe yourself so that you can see what's going on and so this is really useful. It has, it has very valuable insights about what's really going on. It's how many people do some, or have done some kind of meditation practice? How many people have investigated some form of meditation? Yeah, wow. Almost every, yeah, it looks like everybody. So, so this is, you know, this, is, this was not true probably 50 years ago, something, you know. Meditation back then, I remember back in 1970 when I first discovered transcendental meditation from Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, and I paid 35 
dollars for my mantra. You know, I remember how bizarre that was. It was very scary. My parents thought I was off the edge. They, had, they thought I was joining some sect or a cult or some very weird thing that they never heard of because they were part of a Christian church and they don't, you know, you can pray, but meditating, forget it. You know, that's just has too many syllables in the word meditation. So, <clears throat> so, okay. So, but if you meditate, if you observe yourself, the best self-observation results are clarity. The best self-observation only results in clarity. And then the question is, I'm reading again, how do you bring integrity to your clarity? So I'm sure you've had insights about, oh yeah, this because of that, or this then that. And you have these insights in your self-observation or your meditation. But then how do you bring in integrity to your clarity? How do you empower your clarity with some kind of transformational juice? How do you do that? Once you gain an insight about the mechanics of your box, how do you live in and act from that clarity forever? And the answer is simple. It's just called discipline. Now, the word discipline, I'm taking a little side effect. Oh, here it is. It says right here. If there ever was a nasty, repulsive, frightening word, it is discipline. Discipline in modern society is a concept that is as maligned, like as, a, as many bad stories about it, as responsibility. You know, so your resistance to discipline arises from your boxes designed in predisposition to avoiding pain and seeking comfort. So let's talk about pain. So <clears throat> back here, Vincent, this is, yeah. Can I pause you? I, I would like, I don't know, I would, I would like to hear if there's any questions or any like insights or is that, can I jump in like that? Let's see. <laughs> you did. Yeah, I did. Therefore you can. Okay. So this, that's the question or like, is there, what, is there anything that came up for anybody in this first like 20 five minutes of of journeying yeah yeah uh, i can add something um or try to tell something that was really interesting to me when i read the spark uh yeah maybe it's just a paragraph if you're okay for me to read it because you, you wrote a paragraph no it's uh, coming from the mother of uh, the co-creator of Orville who said something about this uh, spark go ahead okay um, yeah it's about the inner voice and she said um, one tells oneself, oh, I am not sure after all of this inner indication. It does not assert itself with sufficient force 
for me to trust it. But if you were quite indifferent, that is, if you had no desire, either mental or vital or physical desire, you would know with certainty that this is it, that which must be done and nothing else. What comes and gets in the way is preference, preferences and desires. Every day one may have hundreds and hundreds of examples. When people begin to say, truly, I don't know what to do, it always means that they have a preference. So that's what came to me when I read the spark, like uh, the difference uh, between uh, the, the hurting part and the bringing importance in the clarity. It's, uh, it's like turning around, like uh, there, are, there are always been pain, but I, I was not watching it. And there always have been a voice or a message, but I, I could not like uh, list, listen to it or something like that. That's the two things that come to me. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> I, Habet, hold on just a second. I just want to share that because I began my meditation practices in the Hindu tradition, I picked up some of their thoughtware at the beginning. And part of the Hindu thoughtware is about avoiding preference. If you, if, you, if you have a preference, it's wrong, or it's, uh, it has a, it's coming from a, an unconscious source. And it took me some years of inner navigating to realize that if I block preference, I simultaneously block intuition. And I also sim simultaneously block impulses from my bright principles. And then more recently, I realized it would also block impulses or instructions from my archetypal lineage. So it's a, it's a very heavy mechanical form of inner navigating is to put a block against preferences rather than um, adding more awareness or more clarity to the impulse to decide where the impulse is coming from. And so that's where the, the knowledge of the three worlds is useful. Is it, a, is it an upper world impulse? Or is it an underworld impulse? Is it a middle world impulse? And it also, this is where it's important to have your gremlin at your side consciously because an unconscious gremlin will give you all kinds of, of impulses or preferences. And so will your box. And so Hinduism doesn't have these distinctions. Hinduism, as far as I know, does not have a distinction that equates to gremlin, for example, as the active part of the box. The, and so uh, in any case, um, I just wanted to throw in the additional distinctions for inner navigating that um, don't really agree with the traditional Hindu or Buddhist 
uh, or Taoist or whatever these imp these impulses these the the thoughtware that was developed thousand years ago is continuing to develop. It isn't finished thoughtware. So it isn't that it's bad or wrong or stupid. It saved people's lives. Incredible. This this the the Vedas. I don't know if you've read the Vedas, but the <clears throat> the core the core texts of these. Uh, different systems are, are very powerful and um, the thought work continues to develop and even this little space that we're in here today is a place on earth right now where the thought work is continuing to develop so so thank you and I saw Habet you had your hand up yes because I struggle with the what you have is what you want uh, in a way that, um, for example, like I wanted a, a love relationship and I ended up with a very patriarchal man. And in a way also I wanted to be uh, protected by this man from patriarchy, kind of. And I would say that I wanted this, but uh, in a way, I would also include that that I think I wanted this, like like part on this. So I needed to to find out that I thought I wanted this, like um, or I'm afraid to identify too much with the wanting, but seeing like okay, which part of me wants that and why, and then to kind of disidentify also with what I wanted, or I don't know how to explain that. But this is too easy for me to say, uh, I have what I choose as a man and I cannot have him without kind of. So I need to arrange myself around that it's more like confusing to me to think that I really want that or that my true self wanted that yeah thank you I mean if if I want if I decide to live in a world where things can be done to me like the things that I that I don't get to choose, that I don't have responsibility. If I decide to live in a world where I don't have <clears throat> radical responsibility, then I can be victimized. Then I'm in a, a low drama ordinary world where most people live, where the taxes are too high or uh, I get fired from my job and I really thought that I wanted my job or my boyfriend turns out to be patriarchal and not kind towards women and I wanted him to protect me and, I, and then I feel like a victim. I feel victimized. And then I have this orientation towards a world of scarcity, competition, I have to fight and protect myself. I have fear-based, fear life strategy and resentment probably building up on the side that life is so heartless 
or life is so uncaring or that, you know, because it's that thing, life doing it to me. And then my circumstances have power in my life. And um, so, yeah, so, so all I'm saying is most people that I've met live in, an, in the ordinary world where it's possible to be a victim. I don't think that's where you have to live. I, I think that in this, the doorway into adulthood opens up into extraordinary and archetypal domains where most of human potential lies. And it doesn't take so much to throw your point of origin through the doorway into the extraordinary and archetypal domains and, and wake up each morning in that space rather than waking up each morning as a victim of circumstances, of hard knocks, of, of unluckiness, and, and having to fight uh, against hatred and prejudice and projections and expectations from everybody. Like that, that's the ordinary world. And all, what I'm saying is it's, it's been really, it's pretty obvious to a lot of people how, what potential, what amazing potential human beings have. What possibility management is saying is that, that most of that potential is on the, in, through a doorway called adulthood. And once you move into adulthood, then all of a sudden extraordinary and archetypal potentials, huge extraordinary archetypal potentials open up. And this is our birthright. This is what we're designed for. We are designed to do this. And that's, that is, um, doesn't take so much to go through the authentic adulthood initiatory processes and to have the discipline to upgrade your thoughtware and use the new thoughtware of adulthood. That's, so, yeah. Anything else about that right now, Habet? No, you know, because, you. you know, the horrible news is there is part of you who wanted that because you understand it, because it's familiar, because then you get to have your story about men being patriarchal assholes. And then you get to be, you know, arrogant to superior or, you know, better than or whatever, or look down upon the idiot men. You know, whatever, what, there's a part of us that really thrives on unconscious pain. And what we're talking about in this spark is about making your pain conscious. So the first thing you do when you make your pain conscious is you, you distinguish, well, what kind of pain is it? And so when I wrote this spark, I wasn't so clear about the difference between energetic body and the archetypal body. So I might modify what this says as I'm reading through it because there, there are five kinds of pain. So I wanna distinguish five different kinds of pain. And that's the first thing you do to make your pain conscious is go, well, it's like going to the doctor. He, doctor says, where does it hurt? Right, the first thing, where does it hurt? Okay, well, you, you know, that 
indication of where the pain is, tell him which, which part of the physical body is, is being affected. And so it's the same exact thing with transformational pain. So can, can I ask a yeah. question? It's about this last sentence. Your, your resistance to discipline arises from your box design, designed in predisposition to avoid pain in seeking comfort. Which anyway, as a Buddhist, I've heard that, you know, that we're, we're trying to avoid pain and we're looking for happiness or we're looking for comfort. Or, and I, so I look at my own box and I was a professional swimmer for t 10 years and swimming twice a day, six days a week like inflicting huge amount of pain, like physical pain, emotional pain. And, and so I don't find them that, that thing so much in me about avoiding pain. And I, and I look around and hey, the, you know, the people who come to me, they doesn't seem like they were trying to avoid pain. Like a lot of them are in a lot of pain. And if they, you know, if what you have is what you want, then they want pain. So, and so my question, I just want to, and it's like, so when, I think my question is when people come to me and say, well, I've been in so much pain in my life and now you, you're asking me to have more pain. And I know it's like this distinction between conscious pain and unconscious pain. I don't really, my question is like, some people could use transformation as creating more pain in their life or something like that. Let as like a torture, you. yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. I see that you're in Greece. Yeah. <laughs> That's not part of the question. Okay. <laughs> the question is, if you think back to the time in your life when you were waking up at, I don't know what time, putting on almost nothing, diving in cold water, swimming, five kilometers because some guy stood on the side and said swim five kilometers and then in the afternoon you do it again and then you're doing you're taking the physical body and pushing it beyond the ordinary limits of a physical body because you were a champion swimmer and you broke records like you beat other people and so to do that caused a certain kind of pain what pain were you avoiding by using that pain. Yeah, I mean, probably the pain of going to school and... Keep going, be a little vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think not being seen and I think also... Pain of not being seen by whom? I mean, I guess by everybody. Come on. By my parents and by my, by, by my sisters, but also my teachers and also my coach. And I, I thought somehow I, I thought I was the most seen swimming because then I could be the best. But that was not really whatever. It was not really what I, the part of me that I wanted to be seen in, like to be the fastest or the best. Or You can say that now, but back then, your effort to be seen and your success, the pain that it cost you to be seen by being a champion swimmer, avoided the even bigger pain of not even being seen. I think it's pretty much that way in every case. 
you know, go ahead. Well, then, so that's, I, I, I get that part. And then the other part of people using transformation as a masochist tool or something like that. And, and then who I, would, who would possibly be doing that? I don't know. Do you know anyone? I know people here on the screen. <laughs> I've done that. I don't think so. No, and look. Yeah. Look, last night you and I went for a walk. Yeah. Okay. We it was almost dark. We're walking up this rocky, cliffy mountain where there's archaeological ruins, but there there's also holes in the ground, sharp rocks, snakes, spiders. I don't know what else is out there. So it was a painful experience. You know, I could feel it in my knees, my legs, your back. I, held, I saw you holding your back at one moment, you know, bending over. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. So I'm, what I'm saying is that we went on a transformational adventure and there was pain. So what was the purpose? You think you went on it for the adventure or for the pain? So I think that even people who put their hands up and said, that you know what, I'm gonna go through every single emotional process reaction that I have these for the next four weeks, and I'm gonna call up two or three people, and no matter what time of day or night, I'm gonna go through this emotional healing process. And, and so this is pain. I mean, this is like, this is, you will, you will come into contact and awareness of so much uh, psycho-emotional, maybe even physical pain, and, it's this adventure. I mean, if you've ever went sailing or, or hiking or traveled into other countries where they have like little black flies on the beach or like, <laughs> they serve really greasy fried food and they call them pies or any, any possible thing, it's, those things are painful because they're different. They're painful because they're surprising. They're painful because they're new. So it is not familiar in our box. And in reality, living as our box is excruciatingly painful. Like living in our own comfort zone is almost suicidal level pain. Like think about that for a second. Trying to be yourself, just your ordinary self is so painful because you're cutting off from the influences of Gaia, the influence of your bright principles, the influence of, of possibility. You're cutting yourself off from, from being connected with all the animals and plants. We are, we are psychic. You know, human beings are connected with everything. We're connected with the beings on other planets all through the galaxy and, and, and the universe. And you can just open up to that. If you want to open up to that, go to the, you know, worthing Worthing Healers website and has a description for how to open up to the healer dudes at the center of the galaxy who are just waiting for you to say hello and they will help you heal your body. So why don't we do that? You know, why do most people who are even aware of alternative healing possibilities, why do they choose ordinary medicine, you know, and, and radiation and anti-cancer, why are they choosing mainstream? Because it's normal, because it's customary, because it's familiar, and you know it costs them their life. And my brother died that way. He was dead in eight months from a cancer in his throat. 
and because he did radiation and chemotherapy and was just taken out by the system. So, so what I'm saying is just being your ordinary self is so painful. It's just that you're familiar with the pain and you're, and so um, I'm suggesting it. I don't, I don't think it's really true that people are doing transformation masochistically. Mm. I don't think it really works because masochism is a shadow principle. Transformation is a bright principle. I just don't think it works that way. So the confusing the two different kind of pains, like the ordinary pain and the extraordinary pain. And they, they think they're just piling it up, but it's just different kind of pains. It's like if you can remember first encountering mad, sad, glad, and scared as neutral energy and information, as opposed to the negative, bad, dangerous, horrible feelings of mad, sad, glad, and scared before the new thought map, you know, before the shift. You can remember the confusion of that. It's like you're saying it's wonderful to feel scared. Are you out of your mind? Are you like, are you, are you on drugs? Like what, how could it possibly be? How could you feel glad feeling angry? How could you feel glad feeling sad? No, like that. So it's like a really shock. Sarah? I, I wonder if there's an overlap though with what um, Anna Chloe is saying and, and um, kind of the, the stress response or the survival responses because um, if I put myself in over my head, um, then I get a shot of adrenaline. Or if I, if I seek goals, if I continually seek goals, I get a shot of dopamine. So I, I, I can get, I can start chasing the chemicals that, that um, and so the, the transformational journey can be like chasing one new excitement after another, as, as, almost as a way of avoiding actually being with me and being with my authentic self. So I, I wonder if there's maybe that overlap with what Anna Chloe's noticing in me or others. Thank you. Chloe, did you have any comment about that? No. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to pay attention to. You're trying to be normal and accepted by society and by modern culture friends is a tough job. At the same time, going to the edge of modern culture, discovering it is not all there is, discovering that there are transformational processes to adulthood, bridges to next culture. There's people who live in other game worlds than modern culture. It's, this is also a tough job. This is also, you know, you might lose friends. You might, you might your reputation might change. You know, and, and then where is the authority figure who's going to tell you that this is a class three transformational trainer and this is a class seven, a class seven transformational trainer where, you know, we don't even give out colored belts so you can decide from the belt or their certifications on their wall from the PhDs, how many PhDs they have as to what kind of transformational training. There, you are under your own recognizance. This is a heavy duty task to actually assess and make conscious choice and suffer the consequences and pay the price 
whatever it is, time and money and energy and all that, of, of choosing your path, you know, that, because this is a heavy duty thing. And this is, it's part of the adventure, I think. You know, a friend of mine just bought a Triumph Diablo 3, 140 horsepower, four cylinder motorcycle with leather side bags, you know, and he's telling me, I don't need Prozac anymore because I just turn curves on this motorcycle and I get, I get whatever stimulated just from going around tight curves on this powerful motorcycle. You know, and Aunt Chloe and I, there's two of us, we have a 50cc little motor scooter that's made by some company you never heard of in Korea's backwater somewhere. And, and, it, and we're tooling around on this like this around here. It's like, um, am I saying this? So got lost in my own story. Um, uh, it's, these, it's this choice. You know, you get, you, there are these consequences. You, you choose their consequences. And, and at the edge, you know, at the edge of your life, like right now, like right here, this is the edge of your life. This is it. It's like looking at the edge of the planet. Most of the time people look and they don't even see or realize that, that there's the mountain and then there's air and then there's nothing else out there for a million miles, you know. So you, could, you can just fall off. You just that's the edge of planet Earth. It's like seeing the edge of Mars or the edge of Moon or some other planet. That is the edge. Well, this is the edge of your life right now, this moment. And 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 you know, you, you clicked on to this uh, Zoom call. You can click off to the Zoom call. Then you have to decide: Are you going to have coffee or tea? Are you are you going to watch TV or read a book or take a shower or wash the dishes or you know comb the dog or fold the laundry like what are you going to do are you going to write a letter to your your mother like so all these things every single thing you do or don't do is the edge of your life and to try to pretend that if you fit into a known pattern that everything's going to go okay well the earth coincidence control office probably has a different opinion about that and if you think that you're going to be with a a non-patriarchal man and he turns out to be patriarchal, well then it's time to learn to start negotiating the context of your relationship with force, fiercely, fierce negotiating what you're doing and what, you, what you're creating together. And there are consequences to that. You know, there's really consequences. And so that's the joy. I mean, that for me, that's the excitement of, of the extraordinary. That's the extraordinary in the archetypal world that you can you can stand in, and I see we're avoiding pain. So I'm, I'm going to force us back to the spark and read about the five kinds of pain. Here we go. <laughs> physical pain. So the first thing about physical pain is that it cannot be avoided. Even the Buddha said, all life is suffering. He was wrong about that. All life is pain. All life is pain. And anybody who tells you something different from that is trying to tell you something. It's a movie quote. How many people know which movie it came from? Not enough. Not enough. And Chloe, which one is it? Is it Princess Bride? Yes. 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 <laughs> you guys are not watching enough movies, I'm telling you. Okay. Yeah. So physical pain can't be avoided, but only human beings change pain into suffering. 
no animal, no other animal ever. You know, we were at this restaurant and, and Chloe is adoring this little calico colored Greek cat that's been hanging around waiting for something to eat. Well, we didn't feed it. So it walks over to a bush and grabs a large locust. I mean, a, a cicada, sorry, a cicada, a living, a large green fat winged cicada. He just grabs it right off the tree, comes over and right next to us, he's going <laughs> eating this. And you can see it, the legs going like this from this cicada, you know, his little wings, he's going, ee, 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 you know, because they make these noises, the cicadas in the trees, you know, they make these noises. He's making it in the cat's mouth while the cat is eating. He's going ee, 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 like this. Well, the cicada was not suffering. It was feeling probably a tremendous amount of pain, but it was not suffering because it can't, how do you change pain into suffering? Somebody tell me, how do we change pain into suffering? You Making a story about it. <laughs> Making what? Making a story about it, that it's bad. God, everybody said something and then the whole computer crashed. This is obviously something you mentalize it. You make it as it was not supposed to be, and then the reality is different. Clinton is frozen. Maybe some can turn off their videos. Mm. <laughs> you are back. Indeed, I was in an alternate reality where you were all frozen and I was, I could move. So I went around and I took money out of your wallet. This is money. <laughs> you couldn't catch me because you were all frozen and I could still move. Sorry. Uh, yes, yeah, so the cicada did not suffer. It felt pain. And the question was, how does a human being change pain into suffering? And you all said something miraculous. Don't say it again because it collapsed the whole internet system. It's probably something the CIA doesn't want to us to know about. Yeah, we just add a story to it. We give it meaning. We put an interpretation on it. Okay, so that's how you make pain into suffering. So all sensation is painful. So if you just, as an experiment, take your finger and go like this and just touch your the hand, just touch your, your hand or your arm or something. If the only reason you can feel that is it's painful. That's the only reason you can stay upright when you're walking. It's because if you start falling off balance, there's a thing in your ear that tells you that the gravitational is pulling a wrong way. That's painful. And it allows you to keep walking. You know, and you smell a peach. And is it good, a rotten peach or a fresh peach? Well, both of them are painful. The whole, the, even this taste of a peach is really painful. So that's a little experiment you can do is have some orange juice or coffee or something and feel the pain of it. You know, you'd have some orange juice and go, mm, orange juice, whoa. Yeah, but these muscles on the side of your mouth are going, eh, eh, eh. your saliva is gushing out to try to dilute the acid and your brain is going like this, a sugar shock, sugar shock. 
you know, all this stuff is happening just from, and so feel the pain of this stuff that you're doing in your everyday life, thinking it's wonderful, you know, because then you can do the reverse. Then you can find the things that you, that you think are horrible and you can pull the story off and just go, I have a number seven pain in my, in my left elbow, you know, and that's, you know, it wasn't because of I was playing tennis or like all these stories that you add to it. And now I can't do whatever, you know, all the stories you attach. So try to just have the pain without the story. Yes, Neil. Um, when you say everything is pain and to have the pain without the story, I'm confused because when I think about my experience and even just then, it's just a sensation. Right. It's not, it's neither painful or unpainful. It's just a sensation. Uh, and it, then it's the story that I might put on top of it or when I break it down, like I unpack it, that, that's when it might you know, tend to be painful or pleasurable. But yeah, so I'm confused when you, when you use the word pain, which I'm interpreting in my head and I'm rewriting it as it's a sensation. So experience the sensation is what I'm hearing, rightly or wrongly. Can you talk a, bit, a little bit about that, Clinton? Yeah, thank you. It's just simply that in, in your vocabulary, you've equated pain to bad. And I, I'm just doing what you did, was I'm equating pain to sensation. So I could, um, the, the point is, the, the reason that the spark is important is to exactly that issue. Is to, because we relate to sensations as pain. And so that, um, so even laughing, orgasm, eating chocolate and sleep are all various kinds of physical pain. So if I said all kinds of physical sensation, the mind would go, oh yeah, it's just sensation. But I don't want the mind to get this. This is not written for the mind. This is written for five body. This is mimetic writing, mimetic writing. It needs to go in that, that chocolate is painful. Um, going to sleep is painful. That's why kids cry before they go to sleep. That's why babies cry before they go to sleep, because it's very painful to go to sleep. There's a, there's a lot of fear. And yeah, Vera? So what I'm hearing as well is that the, the, the use of the word pain as, as a chocolate and as um, a lot of impact in our hand is um, it's also usually pain is described or in ordinary world, pain is described as unpleasant. So then the unpleasant sensation or pleasant sensation is what it's pleasure or pain. And if, if that is the, is the meme that we use, then it's, we're following the, the identification of our box, right? Cause then it's, that's the stay in the comfort. And so using, using the meme that pain is unpleasant and, um, the other sensations are pleasurable are just really continuing the identification of the, of the box. It's like, if you ever went to, a, 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 a whatever, a bar where they're playing music and, and somebody 
somebody goes in and goes, there's too much cigarette smoke. Okay. So for one person, it's too much cigarette smoke. For another, it's not too much cigarette smoke. It is exactly the same pain. Yeah. Or the music. The music yeah. is too loud. The music is not loud enough. It's both pain. It's not loud enough. There's, there's not enough donuts. I have the pain of there's not enough donut. For most people, they have the pain. There's too many donuts. So there's, so I'm what I'm trying to relate back to is experience, but without the story attached. And so, um, yes, it's, there's a sensation of not enough donuts, but that doesn't communicate. It's not really the, the thing, the thing it's painful or it could be painful that just the music's too loud or too soft or the temperature. You take a shower with somebody or they go in the ocean, they go, God, it's cold. And the other person goes, Oh, it's, it's warm. I mean, we went swimming the other day in the ocean and we're freezing and some Russian guy comes in and he just jumps in the water and just loves it, you know, because he's from Siberia, you know, and for him, this is tropical warm water compared to the Siberian Sea where he usually goes swimming. So it's the pain is the same. So that's what it's about. Okay, it's, we're, we're, taking the, we're taking the charge off the word pain and getting the fact that Buddha was right. All life is pain. But the suffering is added by human beings. So if you are alive, you will have physical pain. It is part of the package. You are feeling physical pain several places right now. You know, on your butt, on your arm, maybe something's itching. You know, like it's physical pain. If you would pause to notice it. And in any case, you will die, most likely not without some pain. We all have physical pain. So physical pain is unavoidable. Emotional pain is also unavoidable. Yes, your box is mechanical, but you are not a machine. So whether you feel them or not, your body is always having feelings and emotion about everything. You can, I don't know if you've done that experiment, but there's every single thing around you have feelings and emotions about. It's great to, to do it and just to look at, you know, you look at your table and there's at the part of your table where there's nothing and you can, and you, what do you, or your couch or your hand. I mean, every single thing and every part of thing, you feel mad, sad, glad, and scared about it. And that's painful. It's automatic. Like your body, this is our input sensations. It's like, it's like having a radio where there's radio waves. If you have a radio, the radio is receiving the radio waves, whether you turn it off or on. So you might not hear, you know, the guy that the, the radio station guy, you might not hear the music, but the radio is receiving it. So it's just like our body. Like your body is, 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 full of mad, sad, glad, and scared all day long, all night long about everything inside and out of you. And then you can, we turn it off to different degrees. Most people like at the beginning have a very high numbness bar. You start lowering your numbness bar, you start becoming more and more aware of it. So just as with physical pain, you can shift your perspective and make use of the energy and information provided by your feelings and emotion. But you cannot avoid 
the feelings and emotions themselves. We all have emotional pain. Mental pain, what is that? Mental pain is caused by what you think. Mental, even if you think about something that you don't think. Mental pain includes worry, criticism, competition, territoriality, these low self-esteem stories, being superior stories, loneliness, uncertainty. Yes, they have emotional components, but they all, all have a mental component. Like, like, for example, there are a lot of people in the world mix anger and sadness together. I used to do that. I did that for 39 years of my life. It was my normal experience to have low-level depression. That was my normal experience. I didn't know it. I just, it was normal for me. So many people have um, this low level um, can, like emotions. So I didn't know I was depressed until somebody said, that's depression. You know, that is what that is, gives it a name. Once I had a name for it, then I could go, ah, that's what, that's depression. And then later on, I figured out how to take it apart take the anger apart from the sadness, the depression is gone. So, um, <clears throat> of the four kinds, of the five kinds of pain, mental pain is the only kind of pain that can be avoided. Avoiding mental pain requires practicing different kinds of thinking. Practice requires discipline. Discipline can be painful. But the pain of discipline except for the sore muscles or cravings, etc., is mental pain. The pain of discipline is the stories that we attach to the physical pain. You get this? The, the pain of, that comes from discipline is mental pain because it has to do with putting the story to the sensation. You add the story to the sensation, then it has this mental component. The, so the pain of learning pain of change. So the pain of discipline is the pain of learning, the pain of change. Avoiding pain avoids the learning. It takes discipline to learn. Discipline is the process of tolerating the intensity of more and more pain. Discipline itself is a simple decision. Like yourself, if you ever wanted to eat a piece of cake, and said, no, nah, it's too much sugar, but that little thing inside of you doesn't go away. Or, you know, the one who wants to watch the next TV series, you know, and you go, no, no, that's enough. It's enough TV series. But then this thing inside of you goes, oh, but I'm, I, I got to know what's happening next. You know, I got to see the thing. So, um, or it's like you're listening to music and then, you, you turn off the music. You've been listening to music for a while and you turn it off and all of a sudden you hear the thoughts in your head or you hear the nothingness and you start feeling something instead of going along with the music. It's really strange here because it's very quiet where we are here up in the hills in Greece. And there's this dog behind us that barks sometimes. It's pretty close and it's pretty loud. So I, I'm, I'm in this meditative state designing the next website or philosophizing about something. And then the dog starts barking and it 
I can't hear myself think anymore. I can't, I can't do this inner navigating thing. So it's a really um, clear experience of when I can be with myself and inner navigate and when the sound takes over. But I'm talking about the opposite is a lot of people play music to, to crush and block the inner noticing, the inner noticing of what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I'm afraid of, what might happen, who, I, who am I, what's really going on, why am I doing this, what's the purpose of my life, like all these things that are really important and close to us can be just crushed by the physical sound coming in. And then it does, it just disrupts the mental, it disrupts, so that's, okay, energetic pain. So this is, these are two pains mixed together, energetic and archetypal. So let's see as I go along. Energetic pain, number four, which comes from not knowing that it is okay to not know. Energetic pain comes from not knowing that it is okay to not know. It is being in free fall. Energetic pain is like this groundlessness. So again, I'm saying, actually, if you go into the archetypal domains, that's the ordinary. Groundlessness is ordinary. In, and lack of identity is ordinary in the archetypal domains. And it can be painful. So some of these pains I've listed here as energetic are also archetypal. I'll, I'll just keep reading. What is the point of it all anyway? Energetic pain may be the most pervasive and profound pain, but also the most subtle. Energetic pain can also be caused by the influence of such forces as bardo states. So a bardo state is just a dark space that occurs uh, between any other space, just a dark space that takes over. Or demons, or boogies. Boogies is, these are two kinds of parasitic entities. Energetic parasites, or the position of the planets. You can have energetic pain because of the position of the planets. Or your exposure to sunshine, like not enough sunshine causes an, an energetic pain. Electromagnetic contamination, geomantic forces. You know, geomancy is this powerful energetics kind of practice of paying attention to the lines of force between energetic objects and the earth and it can cause great, great pain. People can kind of have huge amounts of pain. And when a geomance comes around and moves, puts in a crystal here, moves, moves some things around over there, breaks a rock in half and puts two pieces at different places, the whole geomancy of, a, of the space is different and the pain is gone. So um, you can also have energetic pain from a lack of having your center, giving your center away or your grounding cord is gone, or your bubble of space is gone, and therefore you're being completely plastered over with other people's energy draining thought forms come onto you. In the end of the day, you're just covered with that because you're not protected with a bubble and a grounding cord. If you're not aware of these possible energy draining or chaos generating influences, you may think that managing your energetic and archetypal body is hopeless. But it is not. It is just that modern culture does not teach you anything about distinguishing this stuff. So I don't want to, I'm kind of, we've talked enough about pain. I want to get towards the experiment here. 
So your box restricts you. Jake, you want to say something? Yeah, before you move away from the pain. You want um, to stay in the pain? I've... That's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, I... Like, I, 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 to I totally relate to the... When I look at my own life, I see how most of the time when I... Or, I haven't looked close enough to say with certainty all of the time, but within this, I'd say the vast majority of the time that I've experienced change has come from a moment of pain. Um, either where I've noticed I'm feeling pain and used that to make change happen, or when I've wanted change, I've gone and found where the pain is and made it larger as a way to give, create that change happen. But I, reading this i it's there's this discomfort in me that comes from seeing how this perspective could be used as an excuse to like punish other people as a way to make them change in the way you want them to and whether that's parents hitting their children and going well it's only it's only through this pain that you're going to learn and grow as a child and do become a better human being or through a partner going I'm going to withhold something from you not because I want to but because the discomfort of me withholding us doing nice things together is going to make you start washing the dishes more and that's what I want to start happening or that's what you need to do or whatever and it, it's and I'm aware that that's all you know gremlin taking over basically and, and using this but but it, it's is that just a yeah it, it's just it, like yeah it, it, do you have anything to say on that or do i need to be more specific and ask him try and find a more specific question no <clears throat> it's very clear we we talked about it before but maybe not deeply enough it was about purpose yeah and so every action and withhold, every, every subtle, everything has purpose. And so it's definitely an, um, the agency of the action is the purpose. You know, what is its intention? And so there's a great website called uh, Purpose Sniffer that has some pretty good distinctions about how to figure out um, and notice purpose both in yourself consciously and unconsciously, because purpose is conscious or unconscious, which is pretty amazing. And also in others, conscious or unconscious. And that, with those distinctions, you can use your purpose sniffer, which detects purpose and put the purpose on the table. So you keep putting purpose on the table, put it on uh, to make it part of the conversation. You have a meta conversation to have purpose uh, become an awareness. So yeah Continue. yeah and just that that's the way out so then, then you don't have to be a victim of other people pretending to do something for your own good when in fact their gremlin is getting off at it and they're being superior and right i'm wondering also if part of it is in my head i just realized that maybe it's because i was still i was i was comparing it to this kind of like child psychology saying the difference between positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement or any even with animals with a dog or whatever that generally 
if you can, positive reinforcement will always be more effective than the negative reinforcement. And I was looking at this as being an excuse for negative reinforcement. But then if I look at it also from the side of either thing is still manipulation, whether it is the negative reinforcement of I'm going to punish you or if you do this, I'm going to give you a treat or I'm going to give you my love or either way, it's still trying to create change in someone else or something else through manipulation. And yeah, yeah and if, if, if I jump outside of that completely and go, well, actually, even with a child, if you just give feedback and hold space as a parent for giving and receiving feedback and navigating with the child or with your partner, then it's just a different, it's just a totally different game world. And so it's not, yeah, maybe that's actually more where I was getting stuck. Great. Thank you. Yeah, the art form is negotiating, negotiating possibility, negotiating agreements, negotiating intimacy like that, rather than manipulation. Yeah, cool, thank you. Okay, I'm reading. Your box restricts you so that your life experience stays within a tolerance level that your box can control. Did you ever notice that you only experience so much love or so much ecstasy or so much joy or so much commitment, so much passion, so much devotion and so much pleasure. And the box is like a corset. Corset is one of these old things that uh, women would wear to just hold, you know, it's like a, almost a straitjacket. Snugging you into an artificial form imprisoned ostensibly for your own good that's what your box is doing to you and the good is survival you know that and it's and it's useful till you're about 18 years old you know you need to do you need to have something to integrate to interact with the world until you're 18 years old as a result you do not know how big you really are because the thing holds you in you do not know how big life really is, and you do not experience and express the fullness of what is possible for you in the world. If you are still in the straitjacket, the corset of your box, you're not actually getting to be alive. You don't, so you do not experience and express the fullness of what is possible for you in the world since your box is designed to avoid pain and since your box determines your actions then what whatever the box labels as painful you avoid whatever your box labels as painful you avoid so your box traps you with pain like you might trap snails with salt whatever you know, snails don't go where the salt is, so you don't go where pain, where your box says pain is. Your box wins until you begin developing discipline. So just as an aside, it's like discipline is, is what allows you to have an experience and not put a story on it. Even though the box would say that's painful. 
Experience comes in gradations of intensity. If you develop the discipline to let yourself feel more intensity than is allowed by your box, box's pain limits no longer bind you. Your box automatically expands. So I just want to say this, like the other day, I, or, I was at a Greek restaurant and I ordered greens. So I thought they'd be, you know, a little pile of greens. Well, they brought this like, like giant mountain of these greens, these boiled plants. They're like weeds that grow around here. They just boiled. So it was this giant pile. So I ordered, you know, I ordered the greens and I'm looking at the greens going, you know, my box only wanted two or three bites of greens. And I have this kind of like two, two cups full of greens. And so I just, my box said, I'm, I'm not eating this. And I just, I told my box, you know, let's eat this as a matrix building experience. You know, too many greens. I mean, you know, too many cupcakes, that's one thing. Too many greens, nobody ever heard of that before. So, so I ate all of the greens and it, and it, and it was not, it was painful. It was like, I got bored of the taste. You know, it was like, I was only halfway through and I'm still chewing and I'm going, God, these are, this is painful to eat these greens. Well, so this is exactly the kind of experiment that we're talking about right here. It's as if you develop the discipline to let yourself feel more intensity than is allowed by your box, then the box's pain limits no longer bind you. When that happens, there's a, there's two, it's a two thing, you know, two forked thing. One is if the box's pain limits bind you, then you're safe. Because you have survived following the box's pain limits. And so if you keep following the box's pain limits, follow the rules, obey the everything in the box, you will be safe. You won't be alive, but you'll be safe. You know, you won't be really living, but you'll be safe. So that's one thing. But, the, but if you, if the pain, if the box's pain limits no longer bind you, you are radically responsible for everything. There's no safety. There's no um, habitual safety limit. You get this? Then you are, then you are in charge. You, then there, you can't blame the system. You can't blame society. You can't blame your parents, school, nothing. You can't blame anything because you decided. You ignored your box's pain limits, and then you're alive. But then part of the aliveness is there are consequences. Every single thing has consequences. So you don't get to blame anybody else. Neil? Um, in the moment, um, so this is something that I'm struggling with right now, where I am committing to doing certain things, and I'm grappling with my box and I'm very conscious of the grapple with my box moment to moment to, to bring myself to do those things that I've committed to. So for a while it was fine and now there's more and more resistance and everything is in revolt at the moment and that's the situation I'm in. So I'm, I'm, what, 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 what part of me or how can I approach this moment to moment because it feels like this battle of this is what I'm committing to doing. This is the discipline that I have committed to. 
and everything is in revolt and and how do i bring myself to do it but do it in a way that um uh, circling back to what and, and, and Marie was saying before, this is not about being masochistic. This is something that I've chosen to do, that I'm committing to do, and yet I'm finding so freaking difficult to do moment to moment. And There's this saying in possibility management that says, if you want to change the results, but you can't change the circumstances, then change what's possible. And that's what possibility management is really about is how do you change what's possible? And so in the case, I don't know the details of what you're talking about, but there's a million ways to change what's possible in your situation right now. The one that comes to me is to change your story about it. And, and so, you know, I don't know what your story is about it or that I don't even know what the it is, but, it could be possible for you to change your identity to be uh, um, Wonder Woman or Mother Teresa or um, the little angel that is sitting as a guiding mechanism on Santa Claus's sleigh at Christmas time, or um, to be uh, your third self. You know, there's your good self and your bad self, and then there's your third self. And your third self is a magical self. So you have, you have the ability to, to make um, adventures happen for other people, regardless of your circumstances. That's your third self. So you can shift identity to your third self. So there's, there's a million things that you can do. You could pay yourself more, you could pay yourself less, you could build a team, bring a team in, and, 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 um, inspire them to do whatever the thing you're doing is, but do it as a team or do it inside or outside or do it underwater, do it as an, on a, as an adventure, do it with chopsticks. I don't know what the thing is, but there's so many ways to go at a thing differently. But, but the other side of the whole conversation is because, because you are a human being, you can change your mind and you can do your commitment for a while and then at some point you can go, you know what? This has, this is enough. It's enough. I have, I have done it. I've done this experiment for enough. I'm not a, I'm not fanatical. I'm not a nutcase. I'm not just because I committed doesn't mean I'm going to suffer the rest of my life. I can change my mind. You go back to the people that you made the commitment to and say on, on, on July 24th, uh, 2004, I made this commitment. And I've kept that commitment till now, and I'm changing my mind about it. Um, I want to renegotiate. So, and, you know, who knows? Maybe they're tired of it too. Maybe, maybe the whole system is, maybe that's the exact right thing to do is change your mind in that moment because everybody's ready for the thing to change. And you just unlock it and put, thing, put the pieces back in the, in the box and start over again, play a new game. So there's, there's really a lot that can happen with that is that helpful yes thank you welcome i bet you were going to say something
Yes, because I can connect to what was said right now. And I wanted to go back to the situation of uh, being with a patriarchal man. Because when you said to have a, f a fierce full conversation, I felt that I was doing that. Like, I felt I was doing that from all kinds of different places. Like from a place of love, from, from a, as, as if I was his brother or as if I was somebody else than who I am. And I, I wonder, yeah, exactly what you just said is when is the can get to say, okay, I cannot do anything about this situation or I, I, I tried it from all sides and now I'm, um, I need to lay or I don't know. Can there be a moment that that a situation has been uh, explored enough? Or I don't know how to say that. Yeah, it no, it's clear. Patriarchy, for example. It's clear that if, like for me, if I allow that, if I put in a thing, okay, I have, it has been explored enough. It's actually, I'm, I'm, I'm just tweaking. I'm, it's another comfort factor in my box. I'm actually building a new comfort detector in my box. And then it goes, oh, that's explored enough. Then the rest of it's pain. And then it's, again, it's a box mechanism protecting you from evolution or reality. You get that? If you put in the thing, yes, it has been explored enough, then, then it's a box thing and it's, it turns into a comfort detector. I would, I would more suggest um, a diff two different experiments. One is, uh, are you, have you left the patriarchy? I think you're still living in patriarchy. And so find out in what ways you are still maintaining the culture of patriarchy in your attention, the way you're, you're being, what you say, what you don't say. If you actually exit patriarchy, you will live in a, 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 your own culture and you will respect it. You will respect your own culture so much that you will never leave it. You don't have to leave your culture to talk to somebody in patriarchy. What you can do is be amazed that they would be willing to live in patriarchy. That's amazing that you would want to have those values, that you would have those attitudes, that you would have these relationships, those habits, those viewpoints, those perspectives. It's amazing that you would want to live in that patriarchal culture context. I don't. I live in a different culture context. And every single one of those things, then you would be, you would be standing in non-patriarchal culture. And when you, when you can do that, the whole world will change around you. You know, the whole, the, ex, the previous experiment is over. I, usually relationships are taken apart by the same force that brings them together, which is the Earth Coincidence Control Office. You know, it's like, and so to have some logical detector, like, well, I've, I've done enough, I've tried enough, so now I can, I'm finished. This is just a box mechanism that you'd be building in.
So it'd be, I, would in, I would encourage you to do those other experiments. Okay, like you get it? Yeah. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate the profoundness of the questions in here because I think they apply to all of us. It's like every person's question applies to all of us, it seems like. So thank you for the questions. I'm going to drop into the experiment parts here. There's a couple more sentences here. So it said, your box traps you with pain like you would trap a snail with salt. It's just like there's this reflex. Your box wins until you begin developing discipline. Experience, like we've been talking about, the neutral experiences come in different intensities. If you develop the discipline to let yourself feel more intense intensity, feel an experience with more intensity than is allowed by your box, then the box's pain limits no longer bind you. Your box automatically expands. Your being can expand inside your box. With discipline, you can learn to tolerate more and more intensity without adding a story to it. That's what I talked this story about eating the greens. You know, it's like it was an intense experience to eat those greens. I got a lot of vitamin C or whatever, and but it but my box was expanded. I, I got matrix points, I'm sure. Discipline lets you lower the box's fight or flight choice threshold of pain until almost everything is painful and you can be with it. That's what we were talking about, the pain thing. It's like when you lower your box's trigger of I have to run away or I have to fight, there's this threshold, this choice threshold of running away or fighting. You can lower the threshold because you can increase your endurance of the intensity of an experience until everything is painful. That's what I'm saying. This is painful. You know, sitting in the chair is painful. Moving your hair around is painful. And you can be present with it. Being present with the intensity of, of the experience of what's really going on. There's this film called The Peaceful Warrior. How many people saw The Peaceful Warrior? Not enough. Unbelievable. Yeah, you have to see this film because it's, it's this film about how this kid recognizes what we just said about that everything is painful. Like there's never nothing going on. So, okay. Then you enter a more intuitive responsive and flowing relationship with the world. You get to be more alive. That's what this is about. There's only one experiment. I will read it and then we'll decide what we're going to do with it. Practice choosing the pain. That's the experiment. Stay with the pain, keep breathing, and let it hurt. Nothing changes until it hurts. Appreciate the hurt. Watch yourself and try to discover exactly how you decide what 
too much pain is. Pain, you know, as an experience, pain is pain. Just pain is pain. It has no story attached. You yourself are the one who changes pain into suffering. So this is about watching the little things. Squirming in your chair is usually not a conscious choice. You know, your body gets to this pain of discomfort and then you move, you move around in your chair. And it's usually not a conscious choice. But the reason you move is to relieve the pain. So observe the minute, the minutia of your movements, because it's these very subtle, small movements that are all reacting to pain. Where you, where you move your eyes, where you move your neck, where, where you, so you move your attention from one place to another to avoid discomfort. So like right now you can look, you can look at somebody on the screen and notice when you look to somebody else. And the thing that makes you look to somebody else is either a pain of repulsion or a pain of attraction. So either it's too intense to stay looking at that one person and you're repulsed, you want to go look somewhere else, or you have this question like, I wonder what, I wonder what they look like right now. I wonder if I look at them, that's a pain of attraction. You want to be, you're attracted to go look at somebody else. These are two kinds of pain that usually completely control our attention out of our awareness. So if you don't start lowering your intensity uh, trigger, you low, you, so that it can be more and more intense and, you, and it doesn't hit the trigger. So you're just sitting there and it's getting so intense, so intense, so intense, but you're not moving your attention. This, this gives you back your attention. This is how you get your attention back. This is how you reclaim your attention. Because otherwise it's controlled unconsciously by being repelled or being attracted. It's like one of the things, one of the, I don't know if it says it here, but like one of the experiments that I've done a lot is to look in dark places. Because so, sometimes dark places are scary. Other times dark places are boring because there's nothing there because you can't see anything. And we've been trained to look at bright things, shiny objects, colorful objects. So our attention is attracted to bright and shiny and repelled by dark and nothing. And so I just made a habit of looking in dark places. So whenever I'm scanning a place, I see a dark place, I look there instead of away from there. It's different, and, and instead we usually scan and we look for bright, shiny things. And so these are ways you can, this all has to do with enduring pain consciously so that you get your life back, so that you get to choose. So, so let's see. You stop looking in someone else's eyes when the physical experience, the intensity of the energetic contact gets too intense. And so it's a box deciding, your box decides. If you learn to tolerate the intensity of more and more pain of contact, then whole new domains of contact can open up for you. 
it's so easy for us to look at somebody, there's a moment of silence, it's too intense, and we start talking. Or we change the subject. We don't let the silence go on for even one more second. It's too intense. So if you endure, if you learn to start enduring the intensity of the pain of contact, a whole new, you can, there's all these doorways that will open up because you, because you don't look away, because you don't go away. So this is the extraordinary and archetypal domains open up when you don't go away designed to go into the extraordinary and archetypal. We're trained by our box and by society that that's too painful. It's too intense and we have to go away. So it's this automatic. So the only way through this is enduring, is using discipline to endure more pain consciously. Some of the different kinds of pain. So the, um, the experiment is this, three times each day, contradict your natural tendency to avoid pain. Your box's natural tendency to avoid pain. Instead, choose the pain. You just keep breathing. Use the stairs. This is just an example. Use the stairs instead of the elevator. It's more painful to go up the stairs. Compliment your enemy. Instead of insulting them. So instead of insulting, you know, saying something bad about somebody, compliment them. So, or here's another one. Do it now, even if you're tired. You know, sometimes we look at things and go, I'm just tired. I'm not going to do it now. Do it anyway. And it's intense. Listen instead of speaking. So, because if we're speaking, we're, it's like sleeping in our own mess. It's like we, we blah, blah into the world. You know, it's like smelling your own fart. You know, other people's farts smell bad. Your fart doesn't smell so bad, you know. So if you talk, somebody else talks, then you have to smell their farts like that. Um, keep your opinions to yourself. See, the, the box or the, the machine, the whole gremlin, whatever, has this whole urge to put, to put out your opinions, same way. Put out your opinions. And then you can dominate or control or you, you paint over the world around you. You paint your delusion onto the world. Well, okay. Okay. Endure the pain of keeping your opinions to yourself. See what happens. Let them go first. Let somebody else go first. Or the judgments, these judgments, judgment, 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 judgment. Like just don't apply them. Let the judgment thing go on, but just don't, don't sit in the judgments. Say no. Like a lot of times we want to be nice. So it would be too painful to be not nice. So just say no. Like... Instead of, instead of being nice, endure, endure the intensity of being an asshole. Endure the intensity of being yourself. Endure the intensity of, being, of saying no. Or 
find something to love about a person and speak your appreciation and so on. So, and Chloe, master of technology, do you think we could divide up into uh, groups for five or like 10 minutes, maybe five or 10 minutes and, and groups of three? And the coach has a very important job here. So one person's job is to notice your pain. And especially with regards to the person across from you, who's, who, who's, who, who could role play somebody or is just that person, you decide. And the coach, you're looking at the possibilitator, the one who's enduring the pain and saying, you, you just moved because it was too uncomfortable to stay the old way. See if you can stay the old way longer. You just said some. You just said that because it was too uncomfortable to not say it, or you didn't say no, and and you could have said no. Just so the coach has a really important job noticing where the possibilitator's box triggers are. Where is your box triggering you to avoid pain? So you try to notice it yourself. You're interacting with the person across from you either as themselves or you can have them role play somebody. And the coach, you were you are saying beep, that that was it. You didn't, you know, go 10% more. Endure that 10% longer and see what else comes out. Here's here's another thing. Oftentimes when we speak, we say the first thing that comes to our mind. So it's painful to not say that. So try to not say it. So here you are talking to somebody and the first thing comes to your mind, don't say it. And then the second thing comes to your mind, don't say that either. Wait till the third or fourth thing comes to your mind and then before you even think about it, say that. You will be amazed. I've been doing this experiment for about a year. It is unbelievably cool. That experiment is unbelievably cool. I almost never know what I'm going to say next. And the intelligence of it is so profound. I'm, I'm just constantly blown away because I'm not speaking what my box is saying or I'm not speaking my habitual stuff. I'm waiting until the second, third, or fourth thing comes and then I say that. It doesn't take too long. You don't have, it's not like people think you have a mind machine that's a 20 second time delay. Okay. And Chloe, what do you think? Yeah. I, so groups of three and Manuela and Sarah, I will join your breakout room. So join the breakout room and I'll, I'll come and meet you. Wait, I have Anna. I have. Okay. So give me a second. Wait. So yeah. the last thing I didn't say, which was three times a day, which means what you're going to be doing now, and you can practice this later, choose the more uncomfortable way. It isn't about really masochism. It's just choosing the more uncomfortable way like that. Choose it and endure that. Okay, thanks. Okay, I'm sending you out in room. So it's like about like people get two minutes or something, like two or three minutes and then three minutes yeah, will so be you'll, ten minutes. You'll message us? Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, yeah, there's group. Of, it's a group of four, so then you can only be coach or something.
Uh, Sarah, keep talking. Say just a couple more things, okay? Okay. Um, I feel desperate to get your approval. Oh. Um, I... Go with your feelings before you go further with more information. Okay. I feel angry because the story I'm telling myself about you is you you get all the you you, you get all the admiration oh. and I feel jealous um which is a mixed feeling but I feel jealous of you getting all the admiration um and pause here. I, go, go with more. I want, I want that for me. And yet, the truth for me, when I'm honest with myself, is that I'm scared to put myself out the way you have. Oh. So I'd rather just get your approval and not have to put myself out. So I'm hiding. That's the conversation I wanted to have. I just I want I want to thank you for saying that. And I as a as a side thing, I just want you to from my personal side thing is there's plenty of room for admiration. Admiration space is not scarce. What is scarce is people putting themselves out and taking the risk. And I, I see it in you, Sarah. You are so able to do that. You're so able to take the risk and, and go ahead. So I hope I think I hope you do it. Thank you. Thank you. I'll tell you a secret. Um, I I don't like admiration. It's fake then I don't get to be eye to eye. And I love eye to eye. I, I, that's why I do this meeting is eye to eye. I wanna be eye to eye with you guys. The research team, the research team for me. You are a researcher, Sarah. You're a major researcher, so it's great. Enjoy your presence on here, wonderful. So even if you go out and start your own whatever, I'll miss you if you go away from here. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay. I feel we're having, to hear that. We're having an intentional moment of silence. We are closing this space. This is uh, the end of the study group here today. Thank you all very much for being in that circle and the research circle that this is.
helping to make it safe for each of us to go to our edges and share those edges with other people. And um, thank you very much. Mm. And thank, thank you, you Anne Chloe, for the opportunity to be in your space. Thank you. Thank you and I Good hand luck. it back to you. <laughs> Okay, I will close the meeting space and next week sometime I'll be there with the next spark and next research. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye, guys. Tristan. Bye, Clinton. <laughs> Arr. Arr. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you.